Hey listeners, it's Andy, and I'm here to see if you've tried Audible yet. With an incredible selection of audiobooks, it is the perfect way to dive deeper into the stories upon which some of your favorite films are based. Audible members get a credit every month to redeem on any audiobook they like, plus access to a huge plus catalog of podcasts, originals, and more. Just imagine listening to the books that inspired movies like The Bourne Identity, Moneyball, or sci-fi classics like Dune. The best part? You can try Audible free for 30 days and get your first audiobook on them. It's a great way to experience storytelling while supporting this podcast. To get started, go to thenextreel.com slash audible or text thenextreel to 500-500. Listen to incredible audiobooks and support the show today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. You just want to, you just want to sort of feel it out. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know why I can't talk about them. Well, I think you should, I for one, think you should, uh, think you should talk about it. I would like to open with this. And since I'm already recording, we'll go ahead, Ah, we'll go ahead and do that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Where do you stand on, where do you stand on, uh, on, on the, the Google plus uh, hangout? Have you seen this? I've never I, I've only participated in a in a hangout once. It was kind of just a trial hangout at work just to see if we could do it. And we did. And we're like, this will be great. We can do this all the time for work. And then we've never done it again. Okay. Well, first of all, it's fantastic. And I use it all the time, particularly for teaching. But what I'm thinking about is because just this week, I think this is pretty cool. Just this week, they released hangouts on air for everybody. Do you know what this is? The Hangouts no. on Air? No, tell me. I'm so glad because now this is like the ah, uh, I get to I get to to talk about it. So Hangouts on Air is this little checkbox that you get when you turn on a new Hangout inside the uh, inside the Google Plus, and it lets you record. Uh, so Google will then record your Hangout and publish it for you on your YouTube channel, and that then becomes the way you do. Uh, hangout shows, mm, like video a... video hangout broadcasts. So we could actually do like our. We could do the show on Google Plus. So no, but how does is, and and it cuts from my recollection of the one hangout I did. It kind of does a not a voice recognition, but it kind of determines which video stream has the voice coming from it and it just automatically kind of tries to switch to whichever well, it, is the most prevalent. it does it does but you can kind of quote i'm heavily air quote if we were on google plus you would see that i'm air quoting nice. uh it, it you can produce like you can write it and and say i want this person to be on focus now and i want this person to be focused now so camera one ready camera one go camera one 
Ready Camera Two, Coco. I would say that while we're while we're doing it. I would. Wow, that would ready, be like Ready Andy, go Andy. Uh... Ready Pete, <laughs> go Pete. So you'd have <laughs> to be. You'd really be have like. to be on. You'd have to really yeah. be on because I'd be saying that during <laughs> during our during conversation. The show. That would be so awesome. We should do start right now. So, uh, but what do you think? Because you know, it was uh, it, it. We've gotten that comment before that we should do like a, we should try doing a uh, like a watch along. Well, if we did that, event. I'd have to start wearing clothes again while we're doing our podcasts. Whoa! Didn't Whoa. Know I was going to go there, did you? <laughs> Ready, Andy? Go, Andy! <laughs> Huzzah! <laughs> Yikes! No, um, that's an interesting idea. I think it's a great idea. I I don't know if we could do the full watch along because that would be a snoozer. I think for a lot of it, but I think having a having a show where we could do a live uh, kind of uh, live uh, uh, broadcast, I think would be really cool. And I would I would still record the uh, record the audio track on this end to release as a podcast, uh, just like usual. Uh, but we'd do the the actual live show via Google Plus. So that's what I'm thinking about. So if anybody has any thoughts on it, if they would tune in for a late night movie chat uh on uh Thursday nights, uh we would uh, we're considering it. When I say we, Andy starting just a few minutes ago has begun considering it. I have just yeah. started. <laughs> so, and I, I still am. <laughs> so you think about that. That would be fun. So what else is going on this week? How's your week? First of all, where can people find you, Andy? They can find me at uh, uh, on Facebook. They can find me on Google Plus. They can find me on the Twitter at the Movie Monkey, and um, and at Rash Pixel, of course. That's fantastic. So you're you're still the Movie Monkey everywhere. You haven't made the move. I'm, I'm yeah, getting. I'm antsy. I, I'm just very unsettled about any any change that I've come up with. None of them feel right. So I just uh, All right. I just can't figure out what to do. All right. Well, standing by on that. I'm Pete Wright at uh, pretty much everywhere. Facebook, Pete Wright, uh, Google Plus, you know, just search for Google Plus uh, and at Pete Wright on Twitter. And uh, of course, at RashPixel.tv, where you can find all the RashPixel shows. You can also find us on iTunes. We encourage you to find us on iTunes. Just search for RashPixel. You'll see all the shows that we do or uh, movies we like, and that will come right up for you. And uh, so please uh, find us there. Leave us a comment. If you like the show, we would love to hear what you think there. You can also find us on Stitcher. Smart Radio. If you're a Stitcher user, make sure you go download the app from your app store of choice, and uh, and then you can listen to us uh, on demand and on the go. Stitcher Smart Radio, uh, and that that's the uh, the big announcement list for the week. Now, it. what's going on with you? We were just lamenting that we hadn't seen the Avengers yet. Seems like everybody in the world has seen the Avengers. Actually, it I is. Think everyone it is in the a, world has seen it at least a couple times. A couple already, of times, based on how much money that thing is raking in. No, that is unreal. Yeah. Uh, but you know what is? Let me tell you what is nice about this. That I, I have two uh, opinions on the matter uh, on Avengers. First of all, I you know I've I've watched the clips that they have released that the official channel and and other unofficial channels have released on youtube and and i uh, have yet to be disappointed uh, in what i am seeing and and the feedback on the film seems like it is uh it, it is exactly what a giant blockbuster should be and finally uh and again haven't seen the movie yet but it sounds like this is the film that's going to change things uh, in in a, a pretty substantive way for Joss Whedon, and that excites that excites me. Firefly. 
But, yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, it, well, that's what I'm hoping is that maybe we'll get uh, we'll get you know Joss Whedon's stuff to be looked at a little bit more critically, a little bit more seriously because he's I I've been a fan of this guy for a long time, yeah. and uh, and it's about time that he's he's got some he he's got a little bit of budget cred to him. So. Yeah, I think um, it, it is pretty exciting. I mean, it um, it will be interesting to see. I mean, you know, aside from, you know, the Avengers 2, you know, they're going to be making Thor 2, Captain America 2, Iron Man 3. I haven't heard anything about um, the Hawkeye movie, Hawkeye or Black Widow. But <laughs> I, you know, considering the amount of money this is going to just, you know, bank, I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if they start trying to add more another hulk movie you know just more characters i i have a feeling it's just they're just going to do everything they can to just yeah suck all the money out of it that they can make yeah uh yeah i you know i sometimes and it's hard because you get so used to feeling like god i need to hate the big budget movies you know what i mean like there are a few uh a few directors a few actors and a few franchises that you're allowed to like if they make a lot of money. But most of them, they're popcorn movies. You get to see them once and then forget about them. And then you're not allowed to kind of give them, get, take them seriously. And this is one of those movies that it seems like is, is you're allowed to. And I think by and large, uh, the Marvel, uh, the, the, the people who are shepherding, uh, these Marvel properties through the, the film channel at that organization have done a tremendous job. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and even Thor, uh, even, even Thor, I think they did a, uh, they did a, a good job for what that movie was. That, that's a, that's a very difficult comic, I think, to translate into film. It's a different, well, difficult story to translate into film. I think they did a great job. I think they did a lot better with that than Captain America personally. Um, I really, uh, you know, I've always enjoyed Kenneth Branagh as a director. And honestly, I felt that the, as soon as I heard they're bringing him on, I was like, okay, that's actually... It, it took me completely by surprise, but I was like, that's probably the smartest thing they could have done yeah. for a movie about a a Viking god. Right, right. You know, is bring bring this like master of Shakespeare and like that sort of storytelling on to handle it. Yeah. Yep. So are you going to see it in 2D or 3D? That's oh, the big question. 3D. Because it's a conversion. It wasn't <gasps> shot 3D. What? Yeah. Oh, then I'm going to see it in 2D. Yeah. No, I'm not going to waste my money on that. I didn't. I actually did not know that. Yeah, I did not know that. that. Disappoints me. I think that there there are actually few and far between movies that actually get shot in 3D. I yeah. think most of them are conversions because it's probably just a cheaper process. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I guess I feel like if there there is a certain what what I think we're seeing with the really good 3D. That, and there is such a thing as really good 3D, mm-hmm. is that when it is shot in 3D, there is a different intention in the cinematography. And you can feel yeah. it. You can feel like they thought about how they were going to set up every single shot to take advantage of 3D. And movies that weren't shot in 3D, you don't get that. I, I want to go, I need to go back uh, a step and talk about Captain America because I had, uh, I, I came to a new awareness about Captain America uh, this week, in fact. Mm. Thanks to Rachel Maddow. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have no substantive uh, uh, sort of authority on this, what I'm about to say. Okay. Uh, but I think, and I, I actually, I have done no research on it either, so I may be completely wrong. But I just read, uh, this week I read her book, uh, her new book, Drift, right? Mm-hmm. And 
in Drift, she talks a great deal about the legacy of Ronald Reagan and about Ronald Reagan, uh, his military history and, and how his military history and his Hollywood history um, sort of influenced one another. His role in the military was, um, you know, his, his role, he was, he was put into the military to um, uh, be the guy to rally the troops and go out and make, um, and, and make you know, uh, movies and be, wait for it, Captain America. Dun, dun, dun. That is Ronald Reagan. I did not know that. Did you know that? That that was Ronald Reagan's role in the military? I had no idea. So this is what I like so much now. I like Captain America. I, I liked it a lot. I know I liked it more than more than you did when I saw it the first time. And <laughs> I, I think probably would be, most of America did. Probably hard to hard not to. But uh, I like it even more now because I there is there is even uh, uh, there there is a greater cultural sort of relevance to it. Um uh, as a result of of reading Drift, and and I find that really interesting. It makes me want to go back and and do a little bit more uh, uh, reading on the subject because I think I think that was the cultural connection that I, I'll bet early, early, early Reagan either life was imitating art in a pretty significant way. Somebody was reading Captain America and said, "You know what we should do? We should put Reagan in a fancy, fancy suit." Uh, I would love to around. see that. Yeah. You think he had one hiding in his White House closet? Wouldn't that be fascinating? That's my new theory, is that Reagan was Captain America, or the other way around. Do you think he wore his Captain America outfit while he was on the phone with Gorbachev? <laughs> at least the sh <laughs> he at least had the shield. Yeah, at least, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all right, so now we were moving on to something else, uh, and I, I derailed you. I'm sorry about that. Oh. What were you talking about? <laughs> I don't know what we're moving on to. Well, so, you know what happened to me this week? Yeah, that's what I want to hear about more than anything I, else. It's, it's been a rough week. <laughs> wow. It's been a rough week because, and I, actually it happened last week, but it's made this week rough. I washed my iPod through um, the laundry mm. in my pocket and destroyed it. And I've had a real figure out how to get what I want to be listening to on my phone. It's been a struggle. So it's kind of put me in this grumpy place. <laughs> and I've been really enjoying um, just like really bad movies. Okay, so let's talk it. about the bad movies. So we're going to talk about a, a few bad movies. One, my wife and I watched this movie the other night. And it was, it was really fun. It's a parody film. Um, and it actually worked um, a good chunk of time. It kind of fell apart um, now and then, but it was actually quite funny. It's called um, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Have you yeah, heard of that no, film? I, I don't know that film. Alan Tudyk from Serenity. I love Alan Tudyk. Yeah, he is in it. He and this other guy whose name is eluding me at the moment are in it playing uh, backcountry hillbillies. And the movie starts with these teenagers who are going to go camp out in the woods. And it totally feels like some teeny bopper horror movie. And you see these creepy hillbillies like watching them and stuff. And, but then, and, it's, and that's Alan Tudyk and, and his friend. But then you realize that we're actually following the hillbillies, not these idiot teenagers. And we're seeing the whole movie from the hillbillies perspective. <laughs> about how these <laughs> these teenagers think that these hillbillies are psychotic killers and trying to kill them and they mistakenly 
um, well, one of the teenage girls, the, you know, the, the hero girl that one of the hillbillies falls for, she falls off a rock into the water while they're all skinny dipping and none of her friends see it. And, and one of the hillbillies dives in and saves her. And then all the friends see them and <laughs> the hillbillies are like, Hey, we got your friend. <laughs> and the kids think they're after them. And so they all run and they're like, why are they running? And, uh, it's really, it has some really funny parts. It, it does kind of fall apart toward the end, but, uh, and then all the kids start dying. Like they, they're. They're trying to like get their friend back and stuff and just odd things keep happening that make the kids actually like accidentally end up killing themselves. <laughs> and the hillbillies are like, I know what this is. It's some crazy suicide pact. They come out here in the woods, kill kill themselves. <laughs> oh, it's it's a riot. Um it like I said, it does get a little um not so good toward the end, but on the whole, I think it was a very fun thing to watch when you're, especially when you're in a grumpy mood like I was. Well, I don't know which is more entertaining, thinking about the movie or listening to you talk about it. Because it's <laughs> that you're like a puppy. And then, I know. And then, and you should know. And then, it, killing it, themselves. Oh, uh, I know. It makes me, it makes me feel like I'm, you know, a little, a little uh, preteen watching these movies again. So. I love it. Tyler Labine, he's the, uh, the other hillbilly. Um, he's one of those faces that you recognize. He was in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. He was the um, the scientist who accidentally like gets himself infected and runs out, and he's kind of a little more heavy set, big mm. beard. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was one of the bad movies. All right. Um, there were there's, another there's one more. There's there were three. Oh. <laughs> Up. All right. And I'll try to keep these other ones short because right. we don't we don't have all night to talk about bad movies as much as we'd like to <laughs> as much as we'd like to. Um, there's this really obscure movie from actually the same year as Field of Dreams. Oddly, I'd be and uh, I, 1989. I, I just yes, 1989. Yeah. And I remember seeing this in the video store, and I never watched it when I was young. And it wasn't until recently that somebody quoted it, and they said it was one of the funniest movies and has some just wacky lines. And so I found it and it's actually not available um, except on YouTube because, or, or VHS, <laughs> because apparently the, um, the actual film at the Universal lot burned up and there's no way they can transfer it to anything better than VHS. And so the, the wow. of this film, just like, you know what, we'll just leave it, not bother. It's called, well, a couple things. It's either called Big Man on Campus or The Hunchback of UCLA. One of those two things. I want to say that, oh, I know that movie, but I don't know that movie. <laughs> it's so goofy. And I I started watching it, and I've, I've only actually made it through like half of it because it really isn't that good of a movie. <laughs> but it's got some really funny lines. And it really is like this crazy hunchback who lives in the bell tower on the UCLA campus and he falls for this girl and just all this wacky stuff and he decides like there's this part where this hunchback decides to they they ask him Tom Skerritt plays the campus psychologist and is helping this guy and says he needs to come up with a name and so he decides to call himself and I'm probably going to say it wrong but it's something like Bob Mal what is it, Bob Maluga Luga 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 or something like that? That yeah, okay, that's uh, Alan it's, Katz. Yes, Plays yes, Bob Maluga Luga. Yeah, Maluga Luga Luga. It's it's one Maluga, five Lugas is how he defines it in the 
Yeah. Anyway, this was the uh, let's just let's just say this was the only movie that Alan Katz was an actor in. He then went on to produce such hit titles as Rhoda, Mash, uh, Charlie and Company, Roseanne, Scorch, and Blossom. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you know, there's that. It- it just goes to show you, you can somehow find your way. There is, you can resuscitate <laughs> any career, people. Any career. But, but really, if if you are in the mood to watch just a really bad 80s movie that actually has some oddly funny moments, you know, check out Big Man on Campus. Somebody actually found a VHS coffee, copy and they put it on the entire film on YouTube. That's so you can, you can just sit there and watch the whole film. Uh, Cindy, uh, Cindy Williams. Shirley yes. was it was she Laverne or Shirley? She's she was um I don't know, Shirley. She was Shirley, I think. I'm going to say she was Shirley. I think yes. So, last movie, and this is a weird cult film that actually our buddy Chad Stoops um uh was <laughs> pointed out to me. He was not in it. <laughs> it's called The Room. And it's this strange strange movie that was made I don't know when, sometime in the last 10 years. I think it was around 2002. And it's this this horrible foreign actor who, and honestly, this one is so worth going to YouTube and typing in like The Room and just watching some of the clips of it because it's so bad. I've never seen anything so bad in su- in a way where it's actually hilarious. Like it's it's almost as if they're doing everything bad on purpose to make it funny. Wow. The green screen work is bad. I, I mean, this guy, his name is Tommy Wiseau. Wiseau, I don't know how you say his name, but he's this, he looks like this European actor with just long, curly, black, greasy hair who's the lead in this. And it's, uh, it's so worth watching some of these clips of this movie, The Room, on YouTube. And oddly enough, it is like turning into a strange Rocky Horror Picture Show, like cult phenomenon that's actually making a ton of money in L.A. now wow. because they'll do all these midnight screenings at these obscure theaters. People will line up around the block to go see this movie and they will quote it and they will just drink and crack up. And it's like this phenomenon. I have never heard of this one either. But what I like the most about it is the people who liked this also liked list on IMDb mm-hmm. uh, because you get such hits as bulletproof with gary Busey, (laughs) napoleon dynamite and wait for it birdemic shock and terror a platoon of eagle and vultures attack the residents of a small town many people died that's the that's that's the clip i have a whole new list of bad movies that i can watch this week (laughs) you totally do oh that's fantastic i'm adding this one to my list for sure oh yeah just okay, so just a review. We've got The Room. Uh, what were the other ones that we t- already just talked about? I've already forgotten them. Big Man on Campus. C-M-O-C. And what was the third one? The third one was you Tucker it. and Dale versus Evil. Oh, yeah. Alan Tucker and Dale versus Evil, yep. That okay. one, it's it's not bad, but it's it, that one's actually just more funny because of what they're trying to do. But Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a good, con- it's a concept film. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's a fun parody. I like it. That's hysterical. I'm in. I'm in for two of the three of those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious which two. You'll know next week. That's right. 
All right. Can we t- can uh, we just do a quick uh, a quick recap of last week? Well, first of all, this okay. is the this is the end yes. of our uh, baseball extravaganza. We've done four movies. This will be the fourth movie, mm. uh, baseball film, right? Yes. Uh, the first one was um, uh, El Natural, The Natural, which was terrific. Sí. Uh, the second one was Major League. Uh, which was uh, uh, also we liked very much. The third one was um, uh, was just as Bull Durham, and I had some problems with Bull Durham. I in, in general I like this movie, but but this is the uh, this is the comment that we got from our our uh, friend of the show, Steve Sarmento on Google Plus. You can see this in in pretty easy. This week, instead of laughing, says Steve, <laughs> I I was yelling. <laughs> Let me say that again. This week, instead of laughing, I was yelling. And then he goes on to say, Pete Wright, you make me so angry. <laughs> and I happen to know because he's he's not been shy about telling us this. He listens to this show while he's doing yard work. And I find that like horrific to think that I cause this sort of emotion to come out of this guy while he's doing he could cause a horrendous accident at, at with <laughs> garden tools because of this rage at me and i feel terrible about that <laughs> i i will say to to that his his comment is goes on with some substance quote maybe it's because i was a fan of kevin costner because he was coming off the untouchables and no way out uh, absolutely given that that t- love the untouchables one of my top top movies uh mm-hmm. he continues maybe because when i saw this in the theater i was in the transition from high school to college and figuring out what kind of man i was going to be and if you had to choose between crash and nuke uh obviously the characters in in the film i i think the choice is pretty clear the performances didn't bother me because the writing was so strong and i uh i agree <laughs> wow with with all of that except <laughs> that last point unfortunately the performances did bother me but everything else i'm i'm with you on on everything else and so i i was forced to stand by my uh my call that that kevin costner does in fact play the role of a two by four in this movie uh but the untouchables was terrific and uh this movie came out it's you know you develop that sort of emotional uh connection to to uh to films and to these roles when you see them. And I, I think, you know, the same, I, I feel the same way about Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know? Uh, and we, we talked about that, that connection that I have, that, that movie represents the connection I have to my father. And that was, that mm-hmm. was a very important movie. I think that's the sort of, uh, um, kind of emotional connection we get with these movies. And, uh, and I just thought that was a really good point. And I, I apologize to Steve for, for causing such, uh, uh, well, such a, a, a fit of peak. He's he's ruined his rose bush now. It's it's early. <laughs> you can't even go to his house anymore. The branches are like hanging off of <laughs> he just, trees. He destroyed. He just destroyed his yard. And uh, maybe this week we'll get him to TP his spray paint his own house. I don't he, he's probably like running around his yard like Leatherface at the end of <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre, just swinging the chainsaw in every direction, like hacking it all out. <laughs> I uh this was uh this was it was probably the best comment we've ever gotten on the show. <laughs> I did get I I did get an email actually just today from somebody who said, "Yeah, from Dan Hitchman actually from uh from long ago. He mm. said, "Yeah, I'd have to kind of side with Pete on the subject of Kevin Costner and his somewhat wooden style." 
though I think it depends a lot on the script and the, and if he gets a good director who can work within his limitations, Costner, Costner's a bit, bit sporadic. So, you know, you got someone on your side. I, uh, and, and no better person to have on my side than the good Dan Hitchman. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's, that's fantastic to, to share. Um, but you know, that brings us in by, by way of segue to this week's movie, the fourth and final in our baseball extravaganza field of dreams. Huzzah. I'll bet you're wondering what I'm going to say about this movie. Uh, yeah, Do you well, care? Do you care, actually? Because I make an assumption that you care. I have my I, I have my theory as to what you're going to say about okay. this movie. All right. Do you want, do you want me to theorize? Yeah, no, sure. yeah, go ahead and say, go, what, do you, what do you think I'm going to say about this movie? I actually think that you really like this movie, and I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, with the director and sneakers and your father and... <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, hell, you got most of it right. I was kind of hoping to stump you. You know, okay. So, do you want to go first? I feel like I always go first. Why don't I'll, you go first? Okay, I'll go first. Yeah. I love this movie. I love, love, love this movie. And this movie, I cannot watch without just without crying. It just, you know. I'm I'm admitting it, but I like as soon as the whole hot dog scene starts. Actually, before the hot dog scene starts, it starts with Terrence Mann's speech. Uh, from that scene on, I just I can't control myself. I, I I'm like a weepy sixty year old woman watching a Hallmark commercial. I guess <laughs> it's that bad. <laughs> oh. So, so there you go. <laughs> I just want to, I, I just want to let that, let that image float just in the air. Out there. <laughs> There's Andy. There's Andy watching a Lifetime movie again. It doesn't even need to be a movie. It's just the commercial, just the Hallmark commercial. Oh, oh, she came home for the holidays. Peter. <laughs> it's Folgers, right? It's Peter. I smell coffee <laughs> and Christmas. Uh, oh, uh, man. Okay, all right. I, uh, I, okay. I did not remember just how much I liked this movie. Yeah. I did not remember that. There was so much about this movie that I had just plum forgotten. Uh, and I, I really liked it. Um, I was not. Uh, this is not a movie that made a mess of me, uh, <laughs> uh, but I can see how you might. And I think uh, the Terrence Mann speech uh, uh, you're talking about right before he, uh, uh, when he says you you gotta you gotta. Oh, it's the whole. Speech. Yeah, it's pretty much it's the whole he, thing. Once he starts, <laughs> yeah, no, he starts talking. No, it's so hopeful. It says he backs up. He's backing up into the field with the. Yeah, I mean, that's just come, it's Ray. just stunning. Oh, you can't yeah. sell the farm, Ray. Yeah. Um, no, that was it. Was t it is terrific. I here's let me tell you what I love about this movie, and that's we, this is where we're going to get into it. All right. If you walk into this movie thinking, "Gosh, Field of Dreams is it's an it's it's going to be a great baseball movie," mm -hmm. uh, I, I think you may you you miss a lot of it. Yeah. Because I think this is a movie that that is uh, I don't know if genre busting is is the way to to do. It. I mean, it is a full on fantasy film. It is, and on a, I mean, AFI actually 
has it ranked on their top 10 fantasy films. And and I think that's important. And and this is why, because this is a movie that like the the strict fantasy genre, it is a movie that exists in a universe all of its own. And it mm. is a universe that has its own unique rule set. And those rules uh, are set up early on. And while it's a universe that mirrors ours, they make no uh, like no bones about it this is a universe that is not that is not ours and i feel like i enjoyed the movie that much more when i was able to let go of the fact that that this is not something that's going to um, that that i necessarily need to be tied to um uh, you know a strict earthbound rule set and and i think it starts from the blurb like the blurb on imdb is terrific and this is i want to read it because if you think of this as a baseball mov- movie, hopefully this will this will dissuade you a, a little bit. Uh, from IMDb, an Iowa corn farmer, hearing voices, interprets them as a command to build a baseball diamond in his fields. He does, and the Chicago Black Sox come. Mm-hmm. You say, uh-huh, but w- really? Is that sound like a movie you would ever want to see? It sounds... It sounds really weird. The way that he that that's that's written is kind of strange. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't think that that's a good pitch for the story. No, it's because it, it's it, a it's a Noah's Ark story. That's what it is. I mean, it's a Noah's Ark story for dead baseball players. <laughs> <laughs> that's do you know what? That what would be a, a better <laughs> that would be a better pitch for this movie. That would that's how they should go. Where need to was put that I up in 1989? This is a Noah's Ark story for dead baseball players. <laughs> and I say that with the greatest respect because I love this movie. And I think so. Here's here's why I love this movie, because uh, so the opening montage, right? There's mm-hmm. this montage where you where you hear Kevin Costner and he's talking about backstory, but you don't actually see him speak. Uh, until after he hears the voices. And that's this is one of those things that I had forgotten. The voice is the first uh, post-credit roll voice that you hear in this film. There is no setup, right? Right. Yeah, it, it literally, literally does start the film. That's not the inciting incident of the film. That's not, you know, the the turning point from Act 1 to Act 2. I mean, that literally is the first thing that happens in the film that pushes us into the rest of the story. Yes. Yes, and I thought structurally that's so ballsy. It is. is. It was so... actually a really interesting idea. Ah, uh, okay. So tell me why. Because normally that's the sort of moment that you know the the way a film typically gets set up is you've got the first piece of the film is the setup of the the regular world that your hero, your protagonist lives in so that we can get a sense of what their world is. And then about 15 minutes into the film or so, you have something that's called the inciting incident. And that is the thing that happens that pushes your hero into this story. And all of a sudden now they're thrust into what's going on. A good example is Toy Story. You've got the you know, the first 15 minutes of the film is the setup of the world of the toys and they're all kind of dealing we, we get a sense of what this world is and the fact that they have to pay attention to things like what is Andy's what is he going to get at his birthday party and and is it going to replace any of us and Woody we learn about Woody and his role 15 minutes into the film the inciting incident happens and that is the arrival of Buzz Lightyear 
and all of a sudden it pushes things in a different direction in the story and it now we have our story what they're doing in this film is taking what typically would be the inciting incident we don't really learn a lot of the story of of Ray Kinsella and his life we have that little 1 minute voiceover at the beginning about his father but then we're into this story about voices in the ball ball field or in the cornfield right really shifts the way that the story is structured making it where that is part of just the regular world that he's in you know we're in this world where voices talk from the cornfield and it really becomes a story not about what are these voices but it becomes a story about what is he going to do about this voice well and that is uh, i I think that's one of those things that 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 really uh, is why this is is genre busting because it is the fact that we are hearing the voices as you say it's something you normally would see as the inciting incident in the in the script instead the voice defines the universe that yeah. we're in and that's what sets it up as a fantasy and that's why you you learn this and in fact the inciting incident really doesn't come until after the um you know, uh, after the field is built. And in fact, the, like clockwork, the field is finished at 15 minutes or 16 minutes and six seconds. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, it's like right there. And, and then we get into, it, it's funny. It's like a whole, there's a whole movie that happens in the first 20 minutes of this movie where we set up the rules of the universe. We hear the voices. He builds the thing. And then he, uh, there, there is a, like a mini act three where they're about to lose everything. Mm -hmm. And, that's when his daughter says, there's a man in your yard. Yeah. I, I think that, yeah, I, the, the appearance of Shoeless Joe really is the inciting incident exactly. of the film. Because yeah. that's all of a sudden thrusting us into further into this world. Because he, he heard the voices and he built it. So he, he followed through on an action, not knowing where it was going to take him. Boom, all of a sudden there's a, a ghost in his, in his yard. Mm -hmm. So... Uh... Yeah, I, I'm. I, I sort of. I, I'm interested in your take on this because I'm. I feel like uh, it is really counterintuitive to build the film this way. And and I think, uh, you know, Phil Alden uh, Robinson, who wrote and and directed the movie, um, you know, took a took a big risk in in doing this and putting this sort of rushed Act One uh, that that feels like a compressed film that you you know. Um, into it to to really just set up the rules of this of of where we are and then get into a movie that we didn't know we were really watching does that make sense well yeah it does make sense and i, I think the reason that it um that he and, and i haven't read the uh, i don't know have you by wp kinsella i have shoeless joe did yeah, you read that I, no i've not read so that. i i'm curious how i'm curious how the book is structured if it's similar to this or not but i think i mean exactly like we just said it it, it really does create a unique structure and what it does is it makes it feel like it's not it's, it's something we haven't seen before and that's why i think it it feels exciting when we're watching it because we're right from the start we're in this world where voices talk from cornfields and it it puts a twist on a story and it makes us step back and go wait a minute maybe i haven't seen this before because because if you move that inciting incident and the inciting incident the whole first act is is you know Ray and Annie learning about life on the farm and they're kind of getting things going and they're struggling to make the corn grow and then the inciting incident is all of a sudden he hears this voice you know I mean it still works but it also just creates this different feel for the film and then we're not um, 
I mean, it still could work. It's just it's not necessarily pushing us in the same direction. So the way that they did it this way, um, I think what it's doing is it's is it's making um, the presence of the person more important, and then the answer about who that person is and why he came uh, more important, and that builds to that ending moment when he learns who it was that's coming. It's a it's a fascinating bit because there's this once you get through that um, you know that that the first meeting with Shoeless Joe and he goes on his on his hero's journey right mm-hmm. he he takes it on faith I, I'm I'm watching this movie with my wife last night and we're and and we both sort of shared this this look about halfway through saying kind of why why are we invested in the decisions this character is making. Mm-hmm. And and I found that really interesting because um, uh, we were invested. I mean, there's no doubt we were invested in in the decisions he was making, but we couldn't we couldn't define why we cared clearly. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that you I, I'm I I have trouble writing it off as sort of screen magic because typically when. Uh, you know, when you get invested into a character, it's because you have this understanding of backstory that is clear, and you have an understanding of this point of pain that they are looking to resolve through this this epic journey. And in this case, uh, you don't really feel that way. They're struggling for money. Who isn't uh, in um, in agriculture, which is a troubling field to be in, uh, particularly at this point in history, as the economy was, you know changing pretty dramatically and here we are like trying to figure out why we that that we are now suddenly invested in the decisions he's making based on faith alone it's like this invisible lasso that that robinson has just sort of wrapped around our necks and has drug us along and we didn't even see that we were we were into it uh in the first 15 minutes we're thinking why would this guy do this and suddenly by the time he hits the imp- apartment and and meets James Earl Jones, man, we are in. Mm-hmm. And I'm and and I think my my sort of hypothesis is is really built on a the strength of, um, you know, the strength of the script, which is just you know it's as efficient as they come. You know, we talked about the efficiency of language in the natural and and how sparse of a screenplay it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think this is another one that sort of fits that mold. It is an extremely sparse screenplay, and when the monologues come, uh, it makes them so much more uh, powerful. And I mean, like archetypically powerful. Yeah. Um, and so when he hits that apartment, and you you see that that it's almost comical, but uh, sort of. Um, mano a mano struggle to to come to this new center of understanding between these two guys. That's a point, a major point of transition where you feel like, okay, I'm I'm invested. I may not know why. I don't understand what this journey is all about for this guy, but I'm totally in. Well, and part of that, I think there's two things. Um, one is because he himself doesn't fully understand it. And and we buy into him not understanding it, but having that need to see it through. And I think the reason that we buy into that is from a conversation that happens early in the film, in that in that first sequence there, where he is in bed with his wife and they're having a conversation. And 
he's, he's talking about his father and he says, I'm 36 years old. I have a wife, a child and a mortgage and I'm scared to death. I'm turning into my father. And he has this conversation about, you know, we learn about his father in the beginning and how his father had kind of played ball and stuff, but he never really knew his father. And it's not, um, cluing us in so much that, um, as to how the film is going to end. Like I, I was so completely surprised when I first saw this as to what, how it was going to end. I never saw that coming that his father would be there. But I think what it's setting up is this fear that, you know, it's, it's a, it's a midlife crisis. People have this fear where they're turning into their father. They're not accomplishing anything that they dreamed about when they were young. They're no longer taking risks. They're kind of settling into, into this life that they're not, you know, it's not necessarily the life that they intended to be living and he is scared to death, but he's, he finally decides, you know what, I know it's stupid, but I am going to follow through with this. And I think that that's why I invest in him. And that's why I go along for that journey, because he doesn't understand why, but he has to see it through. Well, and that gets to the, to the point, I think, where maybe, um, you know, at least my wife and I, I don't, I don't think we ever really came to center on, on why the movie was, was powerful to, to us. To me, this isn't, and we've talked about these kinds of stories before, but to me, this is a story that, that, um, that captures the sort of emotional intensity of, uh, what happens when you become a grown up, but then you become a man. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. there is that sort of, um, you know what an what an adult male is yeah. until you become a man, and there's a trigger point when that happens. And for some people, it's when they get married. For some people, it's when they see the sort of the birth of their first child. I mean, there 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 is that that transformation. If you've hit it, you you totally know. It's like I'm I can't go back to what I was anymore. I know that I've hit this turning point in my life where I can't go back anymore, and I I have to move on through the fear and through the you know whatever it is. And for this guy. You know, he hit a, a trigger point and maybe it was about sort of finances and maybe it was about, you know, whatever. Maybe it was just that he totally uh, got himself upside down in a farm and he wasn't a farmer. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe, you know, that was the point of the montage. Well, I don't think they were upside down on the farm until, before he before until he, he decided to plow down all right. his corn. And so, he had I mean, beautiful he corn. He, oh, you know, the, the fields was gorgeous. It was a, I, I love it at sunset. I Yeah. So I, you know, I, but, but whatever it is that that's the feeling that I get, like, that's what I, what I feel like I get to watch Costner mm -hmm. do is become the guy that he wants to be tomorrow. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, he and his wife were, you know, sixties radical hippies from Berkeley and they grew up and, and they tried being grown ups, like you said, but they were, they weren't. You know, he hadn't become a man yet. And even buying the farm, you know, they, they kind of did that on a whim. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess almost thinking like it was going to be what, you know, the thing that would make him a man or something. But it really took a little more. And I think that this story is that transition where mm -hmm. he finally does become a man. And it's, it's powerful stuff. It's really powerful stuff. So uh, let's talk about some, uh, some background. Do you, first of all, here's a question for you I could not find. Who is the voice? You know, I knew that, and I want to say it's 
Kevin Costner. But I can't remember if I'm right about that. You know what's interesting about The Voice is, and this I love little things like this because it feels so kind of old old school filmmaking. Mm -hmm. The guy who recorded the voice, um, the the audio guy on the film, um, he recorded the person saying it, and then what he did is he took it into a canyon with huge speakers, and he he played these speakers playing that voice in the canyon and then he re-recorded it with that echo and that that kind of you mm. know booming hollow sound as it kind of floats around and and used that as the voice when we hear it in the cornfield so it creates this just wild wide echoing voice that's just it's just a great sound to it that's very cool yeah oh that's very cool that i mean it takes me back to the you know uh it, what was it the hitting the um the high tension wires that hold up poles to get the laser sound blasts in star wars mm, yeah i mean that's just you know those foley sound artists are amazing yeah the stuff that they do is is pretty stunning and i love i love all those little things like in terminator 2 i think when the oh. truck is running into them as as you hear it charging up they in they added the sound of a lion's roaring roar. i know that's you know, it's just like all that stuff all that stuff is great so well let's talk a little bit about uh phil alden robinson and man did you nail it i i <laughs> I, I this is and, and it's so funny i have not seen a lot of this guy's stuff and it makes me think I, why have i because it you know well he's only directed seven films i i know and and but I have only seen three of them. Well, no, I take that back. Uh, the, let me look at the directors. So, so no, I've seen them. I've actually seen more than that. So I have not seen the George Burns Comedy Week. I have not seen In the Mood. But Field of Dreams was terrific. Obviously, that was uh, one of the early ones. Then Sneakers, which was is way at the top of my list. Uh, it's very crowded at the top of my list, but I, I love sneakers. <laughs> yeah. uh, he directed the, uh, it, I, I would say, probably the best episode of Band of Brothers, uh, the Curahy episode, yeah. uh, which was, uh, I mean, I Band of Brothers is, was a, an incredibly moving uh, experience for me. It and was. I, I, it was very powerful, and that was that was certainly one of the top. And And Some of All Fears, which was, you know, it was not not terrible. I like the Morgan. I like yeah. Morgan Freeman. You know, yeah. I mean, Morgan it wasn't. Ben and yeah, you know, it, there's a there's a thing. So Ben Affleck and uh, Matt Damon are in this movie. Uh, Field of Dreams. What? Yeah. Did you know really? that? Did you know no, that big shot? I didn't. Know. Huh? Yeah. Uh, how's that? I sort of pulled one over on you a little bit. Who are they? Are they in one of the cars coming up at the end? <laughs> Yeah, that's they an are, interesting little bit of trivia. They're, base, down. they're baseball fans at Fenway. Ah, uh, of course. Yeah. Interesting. Uncredited. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, 1989, who were they? They were snot-nosed kids. Nothing. That was probably before... Uh, Goodwill. That? Uh, well, it was definitely before Goodwill. What was the one with uh, Brendan Fraser they were in? The school uh, something? Yeah. I'm gonna have to go. Well, anyway, so we were talking about Phil Alnonsis, who yeah. you were absolutely right. I mean, that's a I I re, I found that the, the uh, we've already talked about sort of the the just artistry of the script uh, and the the structure of the script. I think was was um, really clever. 
uh, and and um, so I think I, he was just a very talented writer, and the the direction of the film I thought was very powerful as well. So you know, what's not to like about this guy? Um, I don't know your thoughts. He's you know he's a, a writer director. He's done quite a bit of of um, he ha- like I said he hasn't directed a lot of things. He's written a lot more things, and um, uh, you know I I like him. He's he's somebody who um, is he hasn't done a ton of stuff, especially recently. Although it looks like he's working on a old Sinatra. I'll let you guess what that's about. Um, but uh, you know he's he's done some good stuff. He wrote all of me, which I always thought was a funny movie back back in the day. Totally agree. So um, you know it's uh, I, I don't know a lot about him, but I I like I generally like the feel of his stuff. It's just it it feels like just good Hollywood films. Yeah, yeah. I you know pretty authentic uh, material. You know I feel like it's a uh, it, it's very much uh, personality material. Yeah, it is. Uh, so, uh, what other other highlights of the production that you you that really stick out to you? Well, I mean, they did actually film this in Iowa, except for obviously Fenway Park and that. Um, they they shot it in Iowa. They they used this house. They uh, they made this this cornfield. And I think what's interesting, what I thought is, is that because of the book and then because of the movie, the owner of this property. Um, and I had his name here, and now I lost it. It's Don. Donnie and Becky Lansing owned this property. They kept the field as the Field of Dreams uh, movie site, and they have it open to the public um, from April through November. And you can go be, and you can just toss a ball around and and have a game and all that stuff. And I think it is so fascinating. And I guess they make their money off the the uh, concessions and gift store. Uh, but I think it's amazing that these people like continued this from the time the movie happened and kind of in honor of the book, but also just in honor of kind of the magic that it created, that they actually keep this there as a free thing for people to go and just have kind of a magical moment, that real authentic connection with America and baseball. I think it's amazing. Man, that's really awesome. That's a, what a great homage to uh, to not just a movie but the entire you know sort of what the movie represents to a lot of people yeah uh it's, it's true it's i mean it's it's a great thing that they did and I, I i actually would love to go see it one day i think that'd be fun you should you should totally do that i'm gonna uh so uh john lindley is the uh, director of uh, cinematography for this film mm-hmm. um uh, yeah, man there's a uh, have we done anything that he's done? Yeah, have we? We haven't done show. not on our show. He's done. Um, well, if we've talked about it and he hasn't done it, then let's. It's safe to say he's done pretty much everything else. He's a very busy man. Isn't very he? busy man. Uh, I, you know, I was trying to figure out if he was if he pretty much just does Kevin Costner movies, but it looks like Kevin Costner and Tom Hanks are are um, and of course Pan Am the TV series. Short, <laughs> I I think the short lived Pan Am TV series. He's been around. He's been around a long time. He's he has done quite a bit. I think he's only done one Tom Hanks movie that I see. Yeah, you've got mail. I think that's it. So yeah. Um. But, uh... So uh. But, 
yeah, but uh, so but he, he he did a this was a this was kind of a standout uh film. He's done a lot of uh he's done a lot of sort of the love story type films. Looks like mm-hmm. although he was a DP for Sneakers as well. Yeah, uh, he I mean he's he and Phil Alden Robinson go, oh, they back go way back from, it looks like. from 87 all the way until uh you know some of all fears and he very well could end up on the Sinatra movie too. So what he did uh, do one of my, one of my all time favorite uh, uh, Wes Craven films, Mm -hmm. uh, Serpent and the Rainbow. Creepy. Oh, I feel like we're going to need to have that one on the list. We should. We need a Halloween series. That is just a creepy movie. (laughs) Very difficult to watch that. Paul Winfield is, uh, Oh, he goes dark. Boy, does he ever. Uh, anyway, so, so, uh, man, I got lost in that movie. Uh, so back to John Lindley, he did, uh, any, anything that stands out to you from a, from a cinematography standpoint that, that, uh, that you feel like is worth talking about? You know, it's just, it's, it's a lot of, um, a lot of this felt like it was shot at the, at the golden hour, which is really not an hour. It's probably about like, 15, 20 minutes just um, as the sun set or rising and you just have that nice glow. Uh, It's really hard to shoot that because it's such a short time, but um, they sure got some great looks with it, I thought. And just the the corn, all that stuff. Um, And uh, and then the um, shooting with the lights, I think, is, is always a challenge. Those great big baseball field lights it's it's such a lot of light and you know i do remember um well one thing they're probably shooting a lot at night when they do that or overnight and i i did hear them talking about just the vast quantity of insects that those lights were drawing oh that's got to be terrible it's always i didn't even think about that shooting at night yeah just so especially in a cornfield yeah exactly Wow. I can only imagine the uh, the mess that those things made. So. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, well, it is, and you know, I I sort of go back and forth thinking about uh, from a the perspective of cinematography. Is you know, is this is it a blessing or a curse to find out you're shooting in a cornfield? Uh, because the the bar is pretty high. Uh, there are some terrific cornfield movies. You know, like you have this expectation of absolute beauty. Uh, and, and, uh, and just sort of, this is the, the amber waves of grain kind of a a feeling. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think it's, I think you're right. I think this movie really captures that, the, the essence of what it means to, to be in the middle of this, in the, in the middle of this sort of, uh, endless field. Can I get some of your list of great cornfield movies? (laughs) I'm gonna. I will actually document the cornfield movies. But you know, I, I'm actually now. I, All now I can I think of is Children of the Corn. <laughs> That's like the only thing I can think of. That and signs. It, it's. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I'm but sure see, those happened other... after, and that's what that's what I that's what I mean. Like just as I said that, I'm thinking about uh, movies that that I where I really feel like they they got corn, and. <laughs> And now I say it out loud, but because I have such as this vision of the corn movies, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, Superman returns, uh, did a great job with corn. Of course that happened so long after, uh, field of dreams that it's not fair to say that. So all the movies that I'm thinking of, 
are it came after the movie. So I, you know, actually he probably now had it really easy. So he's just <laughs> he was just phoning he, it in. He, he's the one who set the. He's bar. the one who actually set the bar high. <laughs> exactly. And maybe it wasn't even that high. Maybe he just showed up. John, why do I even? I don't even care <laughs> anymore. <laughs> oh man, that's great. So, uh, oh my. Well, this film did get uh, yeah. a few Oscar nominations. Best Picture, which was great for uh, um, Lawrence and Charles Gordon, who produced it. Mm-hmm. Best Adapted Screenplay by uh, for by um, Phil Alden Robinson. And uh, Best Original Score by good old James Horner. Great music in this one. There's another busy guy. Uh, the movie, did you ever, did you find a budget on this movie? He, he's a busy guy, but he, he's busy because he uh, he doesn't, seem that busy because half of his scores feel like he's just copying himself yeah exactly (laughs) well and i i have heard tale that uh john williams and james horner actually have a significant sketch writing staff and that much of what they do is is actually done by the hands of their able elf elfin assistants well, and I think that happens a lot yeah. in in the world of composing. Hans Zimmer, you know, he's notorious for his his um, what's it called, the remote control. Yeah, group, you know the the whole thing with <laughs> that just cranks out all sorts yeah. of composers who do lots of bad work. Yeah, <laughs> some do good work. I shouldn't say they all do bad work. There's some who do good work. Okay. But so anyway, but did you uh, find a budget on this film? You know, I couldn't find a budget. I thought um, you had the backdoor locker, the secret I'm in the industry locker on the web that... that would... They don't have the budget listed on it. it they made, only have it the box some... office, which is sixty-four, about $64.5 million domestically. Huh. That, uh, you know, I uh, that doesn't, doesn't seem like as much as I would have thought. No, I guess in 1989, I, I have to in 1999 yeah. dollars. I guess that's good. Yeah. This right. this came out. It was released April 21st, 1989. This this was released um, only a, a two weeks after Major League. Yeah, you know, uh, and Major Major League's budget was 11 million. I'm guessing that this is probably. Somewhere in that range, maybe a little under. Hmm. That's just a guess. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, let's see. Uh, the one other thing, crazy, written by Willie Nelson. Uh, this one of the songs in this film was performed by Beverly D'Angelo. I know, isn't that trippy? <laughs> <laughs> that that may be the weirdest thing that I learned about this movie. Yeah. Besides the thing with the bugs. Yeah, the bugs. There you go. It's, it's hard to pick which one is weirder. Yeah, between Beverly Daniels. I didn't know she was. I just I thought she was a, just the lampoons thing. Family All vacation. Years we were wondering where is she? Where is she? Singing Willie Turns Nelson out she's songs. singing Willie Nelson songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in general, uh, this is a ter- it's a terrific film. And I so I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this out loud. Um, I, I liked Costner in this movie. There you go. I did. This is one of the movies I de- I really liked Costner in this movie. I thought he he captured the sort of uh, bumbling transition from boy to man that I thought was uh, was really I thought it was really good. And maybe it was um, affected in some part 
uh, by, uh, you know, being on screen with Amy Madigan and James Earl Jones and Ray Liotta and, and Burt Lancaster in, in his last film. Uh, maybe all of those things kind of came together and it, it ended up making this sort of magical um, uh, event for, for, uh, for Costner. But I thought he did a terrific job in this movie. And I, I really, um, I, it, it, the role meant, meant something to me. Yeah. It meant something to me in every way that his role in that last piece of crap didn't. Oh, hey, hey. Whoa. <laughs> Zing! Wow. You had to go there, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I just, I, I said to. that. I said that. So. Oh. This is called Movies We Like, Peter. I know. And I, well, I like that one. It's not actors we like. <sighs> oh, no. Oh. You oh, just no. said, you called it a piece of crap. No, I, I like that. That was hyperbole. Oh. That was oh. hyperbole. Because I actually did like that one. Um, so, uh, what, what about you? Are you wrap it up? Take us, take us home. You started it. Now you got to end it. Oh, wow. This, this is a, <laughs> a random bit of trivia about this, this movie because it inspired this baseball field to be there. It has now inspired a group of people to dress up like, like the, um, Black Sox players. I'm sorry, the White Sox players. No, they were the Black Sox. The Black Sox. They were the eight. They were the eight, yeah. They they dress up like the players. Actually, I think it's more than just the Black Sox. I think they actually portray the whole team. These guys now come out to this field dressed like the White Sox from 1919, and they play baseball. And somebody actually made a documentary about these guys called Ghost Players. Uh relive the magic <laughs> it's a magical award-winning documentary about a baseball team grown on the original field of dreams that then traveled the world well so. that's fascinating because you're i'm not quite sure which what they're reliving <laughs> are they reliving it's... the movie field of dreams <laughs> or are they reliving the the Chicago Eight or the White Sox, and the, I don't know. I don't it's, know what they're it's, doing. It's like the uh, the Civil War guys, except they picked a, a totally different bit of history to <laughs> to jump back to. That's exactly right. I wonder if in a, a hundred years there will be people like jumping back in time or dressing up and portraying us doing a podcast. We should be so lucky. Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> oh my goodness. That's fantastic. I'm going to start wearing a sword and I'm going to do it for 100 year from now future Pete. That would because be awesome. I I want to make sure that anybody who plays me knows that it's appropriate to carry a sword. That's right. That's right. Uh, so so I'm going to I'm going to end this yeah. because this is the end of our baseball series. Yep. So I'm going to end it with Terrence Mann's last little bit of his line here. Which, you know, we actually have already discussed a little bit um, because Billy Crystal <laughs> did it so well on, <laughs> on the Academy Awards this year. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It has been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that was once good and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. And it's good stuff. That's really good stuff.
It's really good stuff. I don't have the James Earl Jones voice to do that, but <laughs> baseball, baseball. I don't know. Yeah. I uh, and so that does it. That ends our baseball extravaganza, and now we are moving on. And this is really what we've been filling. And I think we did it. We did it ably. I mean, let's be fair. I think we did a fine job. I think the baseball was fine, and then the shows before that they were all fine. But really, we've been filling to get to this point today. The line must be drawn here. <laughs> I'm gonna pull it's, out this Star Trek reference for no reason. <laughs> it's it's titillating. Can I say that on the air? It's titillating. It's titillating. Uh, and so we begin our Aliens trilogy. And we did this, or trilogy, our Aliens extravaganza, the Alien extravaganza, let's say it mm-hmm. right. Be, and, and it begins next week because if you calculate it out, go ahead, get out your calendars. We're going to do next week, we're going to do Alien. Then we're going to do Aliens the week after. Then we're going to do Alien 3. And then which, we're, which also is completing our David Fincher. Yes, and that was Benjamin we, Button. That'll the Benjamin fest. Button <laughs> David Fincher fest. So we right. we that was intentionally left out. Uh, some people may have noticed that we we did not actually do that one. We are going to catch up there, uh, and then uh, Resurrection, mm-hmm. and then all of this leads to the worldwide release of Prometheus, and we will be doing that in five weeks time which Yeehaw. we are really i don't know if you know this about us but we're really <laughs> excited about that movie so so uh, we're we're building up to to the big uh the big prom prom promo the prom promy <laughs> the prom yeah so that's uh that's, that's where we are yes anything we're else excited i'm Thrilled. I'm actually quite thrilled to go back and watch Alien. I haven't seen it. I haven't actually sit, sat down and watched probably four or five years, so I'm very excited to watch it. I'm going to sit down with my six-year-old and see if he gets into it at all. <laughs> you do that. Let's talk yeah. about how well that goes. I'll let you know how that week. goes. Yeah, You'll be talking. You'll be recording from the doghouse. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, I got nothing else. Are you done? I'm done. Right. I am spent. And I'm spent.